Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to tell you a story that happened to me this week, which is one of these crazy, unbelievable stories. So this is the first time in 27 years in the history of the Happy Minion that we're going to have a dedicated building seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Actually, for the last two years or more, we've been homeless, but our place before then was a karate academy. So the Happy Minion was actually meeting in a dojo that we would turn into like this grassroots, like, you know, Jewish place, right, for, for Shabbos. And then we turn it back into a karate academy. And then, you know, it was very high maintenance because they had mats on the floor, very heavy mats, and we had to move in the ark. It was not simple. So the question is, what are we going to do with the other six days? So this is a question we're trying to figure out, right? Because we have an enormous opportunity here. So one of the things that people love about the Happy Minion is that you can find every type of person at the Happy Minion. It's like the whole spectrum is there. And everyone is kind of celebrating and being joyous together. And and it's a, it's a beautiful community. It's like really nice. Everyone's got a good eye for each other. And it's very, very positive. Okay, good. So I thought to myself, we've got all these different kind of groups. What if one day of the week, we offer classes, right? One day of the week, we have the best Rebbe Nachman Breslover class. Another day of the week, we have the best Chabad class. Another day of the week, the best Rav Soloveitchik class. Another day of the week, the best Reb Shlomo Karlovach class. Another day of the week, the best Sephardi class, like Ben Ishchai or something like this. You know, so that all of the groups together each have like a reason to come during the week as well and something where they feel empowered and and included so that we keep that energy from Shabbos, which is more on the prayer level, and we just kind of turn it in more into the Torah study level during the week. So one of my son's best friends is Sephardic, and he was over at the house this past week on Wednesday, and I thought, you know, I need a good Sephardic rabbi, like someone who can really like, like, who's like part of the vibe of the minion and I don't know who this person is, okay? So, but maybe he does. Like, my son's friend is like a, you know, like a young, vibrant guy, right? So, he tells me, I know the guy. And he gives me the name. I'm not going to mention the name. But he tells me the name. And as soon as he describes him, I said, that's him. He's got the job. That's him. And, and, and I said, text me his number. So he texts me his number. I have it on my phone. Okay, I don't call. Okay, fine. <laughs> the next day, there's a big wedding that my wife actually made the shidduch. And talking about unity right now, it's a an Ashkenazi family married to a Persian family, which is like an, an amazing thing and a beautiful example that we're all one soul. And and so so that wedding is taking place. That's the next day. And there are hundreds of people at this wedding. It's a beautiful wedding, beautiful wedding. And my wife and I walk into the, like the main banquet hall and there are dozens and dozens of tables and we're kind of looking for our table. And 
and we find it and it's empty except there are these two people who are like talking to each other like very intensely and everything like this but otherwise you know you can take any seat i don't know if any of you have experienced this but i grew up in new york city and so i'm used to taking public transportation so have you ever experienced this where you're on a, like an empty bus or an empty subway car and someone walks in and sits down right next to you and you're like dude dude there's seriously an entirely empty bus. Why are you sitting right next to me? Right? So anyway, I, I got this feeling because we got this big round table and my wife picks one spot away from the other people. And then she says in a loud voice to me, sit in that seat, like the, the seat right next to the guy. And I'm like squeezing in. I'm like sitting next to the person. I'm wondering like, all right, I'm that guy on the train right now, right? Anyway, the two of them are talking very intensely, and so I'm talking with my wife, and I don't know, 10 minutes later, whatever it is, they finish their conversation, and so the guy next to me is, you know, kind of just sitting there, and he's a mensch, and he realizes he's sitting next to another person whose presence that he hasn't acknowledged, and so he says, hello, I am rabbi so-and-so. It is the person that my son's friend told me to hire. Now, I was told there were 500 people at this wedding. How do you explain that? I said, you're not going to believe it. I take out my phone and I show him the text with his phone number that was sent to me the day before. I said, God wants us to be friends. And I told him about my vision for the, for the place. And then he said to me something that was hilarious. He said, yeah, it sounds good. I think I, I'd really like to do it. But he said, I don't know if this is a problem, but I'm also a guitar player. Is that okay? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, 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 not a problem. <laughs> For those of you not in on the joke, the, the Happy Minion is extremely musical, and that, that would be like, you know, almost a prerequisite for the physician. Not exactly, but, you know, but it's, it's certainly more than welcome. So it's awesome, it's awesome, it's awesome, it's awesome, it's awesome. And it's another reminder how God is running the world and how close God is. Just another reminder, another reminder. As Rabbi Green said one time, he said, the only thing going on in this world 24-7 is God. <laughs> That's the only thing going on in this world is God. That's it. So, so when we open up our eyes, we, we see it absolutely everywhere. There's an expression that I really like, and I think I like this because I grew up on 79th Street and Broadway in the middle of New York City, which is when you want to share your experience, like you've been there, done that, you tell people, hey, this is not my first rodeo, okay? So as I add on the years, I have more and more opportunities to say, this is not my first rodeo. So why am I sharing this with you right now? Because Right now, we've entered into this express lane between now and Yom Kippur. We really have to kind of like turn it on. We got to kick into gear 
And we've got to take the needs of our souls, the needs of the world, extra whatever our level of seriousness has been up until now, you got to put it into the next gear starting today. Meanwhile, this is not our first rodeo. <laughs> All of you have been through this process many, many times. What I want to share with you is some real tools and some insights to counteract that cynicism to unlock this opportunity so that we can make the most out of it. So this is something that happened to me on Friday. I was absolutely exhausted. It was about an hour before Shabbos. I'm laying on the couch and I, I, I just, I can't get off the couch. I don't have any strength. And, and it's just my, it's my custom to go to the mikveh before Shabbos and before holidays and everything like that. And I, I don't know how I'm going to do it exactly, especially since my wife is visiting her mom at the rehab hospital and she's taking the car. And, and I asked her, I said, listen, can you, can you drop me off? And she said, look, it's almost Shabbos. I'm not going to have time to do it. And, and I've got to do that. Do you want to come with us to the hospital? And I realized at that point that I had a choice. I can either go to the mikvah or I could go to the hospital. And it's, like I said, it's, it's my custom to go to the mikvah. But I, I had to ask myself, you know, the, the question when, when you have a choice between two things like that, which is, a, which is the bigger mitzvah. And the, the Ishbitzer Rebbe says that one, one of the deepest questions a person can ask themselves is, what does God want from you this moment? And in order to really be able to tune into that, that level of divine service, you, you have to be sensitive to the people around you, sensitive to the situation. You have to have the ability to pivot and to actually kind of do what's right. And so in terms of weighing the two mitzvahs, it's very nice for a, a man to go to the mikveh. It's different. A man going to the mikveh and a woman going to the mikveh are two different levels of stringency. For a woman, it's much more serious. For For a man, it's it's kind of like it's it's holy and it's beautiful, but it, it's more of a custom. And when you weigh that against visiting your your mother-in-law in the, in the hospital, that that's the mitzvah of kibbutz the aim of of honoring your parents. And so, there there's no comparison between those two. If you if you have to choose between the two, the answer is you go to the hospital. But I didn't want to do that because that's outside my comfort zone and. I'm, I'm used to going and it's sort of like, oh no, this is something that I do, right? Are you hearing the, you're hearing the Yetzirah in that? <laughs> Whenever you hear the word I start to sort of like flare up and shine and be, 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 you know, be careful. One of the most amazing Torahs is, is Moshe Rabbeinu at one point, Moses says, I stood between you and the mountain, like Mount Sinai when the Torah was being given. And I think it's the Mojitzer Rebbe says, I, the I stands between you and God's word, right? The ego stands in between, right? So I'm like, I'm accustomed to not going, right? I'm accustomed to going to the, to the mikvah right now, which gets really diabolical. And I'll tell you why, because it's like a holy alibi instead of doing what you know to be the right thing, you, you, you've got this, like the Yetzirah, the negative inclination comes to you and, and tells you, oh no, but you are doing the right thing. It's like a holy alibi, even though it's not what you should be doing at that moment, right? And then 
So I said, okay, I'm going. So I went, I went to the hospital. So I went with my wife to the hospital and I, I saw my, my mother-in-law who went through World War II and she ended up in Kazakhstan and then in Paris before going to Brooklyn in the 50s. And I saw her light candles. You know, you can't have open flames in these places, but they've got these little electric candles. And I saw her make the blessing, which was so beautiful. And there's so many tested organizations, just organizations that do like kindness for sick people and things like that here in Los Angeles, all over. But but they're sending her like boxes of food. And, and, and she's, you know, she's older, she's frail, she doesn't have a big appetite. And we see that it's just like this large tin, like this two foot long tin filled with two challahs for Shabbos and chopped liver and egg salad and all these other things. And she, she, she can't eat all that. So, so, so we took it, we took it with us. And anyway, I'm not sure how the timing was able to work out so well, but we drove back to the house and I realized if I leave right now, I think I can, I can still make it to the mikvah. And, and so my wife was going to take the food and I said, well, wait a second. We, we kind of realized together maybe I'll find a homeless person who I can give the food to. And so I went to the mikveh, and here in L.A., outside this particular mikveh, there's, there's a religious man. He's been homeless, and he's been living out on the streets. It's really sad, and every once in a while, he's, like, covered with bruises. You know, if you live out on the streets, like, people will just come up to you and beat you up. Like, it's, I've, I've seen, like, the, the scars on his face. It's really bad news. Anyway, this guy is like a, a religious guy, and it's, it's a very tragic situation. Anyway, I don't see him all the time in front of the mikvah, but, but sometimes I do. And there he was, and I presented him with this entire, like, Shabbos meal, maybe a couple of meals for him, and, like, tears started filling his eyes. And so... You know, had I gone to the mikvah earlier, I would have gone. I wouldn't. I would not have seen that guy. I wouldn't have seen my mother-in-law. But I, thank God, I had the, the ability to choose to do what what was being asked of me in the moment to make the right decision, to do the bigger mitzvah, even though it was out of my comfort zone. I went and I visited my mother-in-law, and because I was visiting my mother-in-law, not only did I get a chance to see her light candles, which in 30 years of marriage, I've never seen her do. But I was still able to go to the mikvah, and I was able to give this homeless man like an entire office, right? And we have this principle in Torah, mitzvahs, kareris, mitzvahs, that, if you, that one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. And so, anyway, I'm just so glad that I had the clarity to be able to make a choice which opened up a whole new pathway. And where do we get that ability to make the proper choices from the Torah itself? So it's kind of funny because sometimes we just think of the Torah as do this and don't do that and don't do this, but do that. And we don't really think it through more fully that if we do this and we don't do that, then this happens in our life. And we get to travel down pathways that would not have been available to us otherwise because we'd never have the wisdom to find them. 
And the amazing thing is because God is creating and recreating the world every single moment, when we make those choices, these new realms of reality become created through the choices that we make. So not only is God revealing new pathways for us, but we ourselves are simultaneously creating them with him. One of the greatest of the Hasidic masters, his name was the Shiska Rebbe. He was the Rebbe of the Kutzka Rebbe. And he asked his Hasidim one time, his followers, he said, what is the definition of a Hasid? Remember, a Hasid is someone who goes above and beyond the law. So the Shiska Rebbe says the definition of a Hasid is someone who won't deceive another person, but also won't deceive himself. So that's deep. That's deep. That's deep. Because we usually don't even know when we're lying to ourselves. And trying to figure out, like, what is actually the truth, the truth within yourself, is really the gateway to the stratosphere. And his greatest disciple, the Kutzka Rebbe, said, so many people look up to the heavens and they wonder what's going on up there. He says, better to look down deep into yourself and wonder what's going on down there. And the interesting thing is that our below is tied to the above in the deepest, deepest, deepest way. So that when you really look within, you are really elevating and sanctifying the above. That is really what happens. But then the trick is when you delve into this very holy, deep introspection, not to turn it into narcissism <laughs> and not to get lost within yourself. There's so many tales of people going into the deep, dark jungle to save the people and then they themselves get lost. So the idea of introspection is a very dangerous thing sometimes because when you reach deep, you can forget that there's anything going on outside of you. And then you've completely lost because you've made it about you. And where it begins and ends is when we feel as though we've reached this certain level of spirituality, which is good enough. And that's what I'm talking about, this holy alibi level. That's what I'm talking about, the idea that it's sort of like, oh, I don't have to do the mitzvah deraisa of honoring my parents, right? Because I'm going to the mikvah, which is a very holy, beautiful custom, recommend it, really good thing to do. But can't compare next to the mitzvah of honoring your mother, right? Can't compare. And so we've got to be able to have a more nuanced relationship with ourselves, a more sensitized appreciation of the realities of where free choice is being activated in the moment in our lives. And let me explain what I mean by that, because this is a very, very big principle that you should know about. And it's called the point of Bechira. I'll translate. That means the point of free choice. 
And Rav Dessler talks about this. And he, he provides like really an essential insight into the human condition, especially in terms of the pathway of serving God. Now I'll give you an example. Could I learn Torah 16 hours tomorrow? Well, I mean, theoretically I could, right? I mean, thank God I'm healthy. I, I, I should be able to do it just on a brute physical level. But am I going to learn 16 hours of Torah tomorrow? The answer is probably 99% no. The Yetzirah, the negativity, which just tries to undermine us, tries to tell us that absolutely anything is possible, even levels that are currently beyond us can be attained right now. But it's not true because we really don't have the foundation and the wherewithal to reach those levels, which take building to. In other words, many people have pointed out that divine service is like a ladder and you have to go step by step and you can't skip steps. And, and the problem with a lot of people who like, you know, reach this ecstatic place and then, you know, just look at your watch, you know, the clock is ticking at a certain point they crash is because they've taken on a level of commitment that is not sustainable because they don't have a foundation for it in their life. So everything has to go step by step. Even if your desire outstrips and your level of yearning outstrips what you're actually doing at that moment, that's okay. Now, sometimes that can cause pain and frustration because you, you're, you feel so connected and your lifestyle is not really there at that moment. But you have to take it step by step. That's why a person needs a teacher. You need a teacher to say, hey, slow down. Or, you know something, you've been at that step for a while. I think you're probably ready for the next step. To completely do it on your own, it gets tricky. Let me just tell you one of the, one of the deepest teachings that I, that I ever heard, and, and I experienced this in my own life, by the way. So, I heard it from Reb Shlomo. He said it in the name of Reb Tzadik HaKon. So, he said... Reb Tzadik, he was, Reb Tzadik was one of the great Hasidic masters about a hundred years ago. And Reb Tzadik said the following. People say that the world is getting further and further away from God. Then Reb Tzadik said, I say, the world is getting further and further away on the outside and is coming closer and closer to God on the inside. This is, this is an amazing, amazing, amazing teaching. And it's a very true teaching. And I'll tell you how I experience this in my own life. Well, first, let me just give you a, a, just a general example so you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you, you could look at a person who's got like green dyed hair and a, you know, pierced lip and is riding a skateboard, you know, and tattoos and whatnot. And you can say, wow, that person is so far away from spirituality, I can't even tell you. And yet the truth is, they may be literally a step away. 
literally a step away from keeping Shabbos or something like this. And, and now let me just flesh it out by, by just telling you about my own journey. I, I tried so many things. I didn't, I didn't grow up religious and, and I started keeping Shabbos when I was 24. And I had seen a lot of the world before, you know, during those early years. Like I said, I grew up in New York City, which is, you know, a pretty wild place to grow up. And, and I saw a lot of stuff. I really did. And over that period of time, in checking out different things, I was able to conclude, well, this is a dead end, and that's a dead end, and that's a dead end, and that's a dead end. And so what happens is, at a certain point, like one time I asked a person, what, what inspired you to become like, you know, religiously observant? and like a Torah Jew. And the person, I'll never forget his words, he said to me, I ran out of excuses not to. <laughs> Which is kind of what I'm talking about right now. Where you check out the world, and at a certain point, like someone can look at you from the outside, and who knows like what you look like on the outside, right? But on the inside, you finally reach that conclusion. It's not any of these things, it's God. It's God, and it's God is explained by the Torah. And that happened to me, because, you know, people looked at me, and then the next day I was doing this whole other thing, and they were like, what, really? But I reached that level of understanding over a period of years very systematically. And, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, sometimes it looks like a person's making a big leap, but really, there's been so much internal work leading up to it that it's not the leap that it looks like. You know, sometimes you see people living this crazy, like, very decadent-seeming lifestyle on the outside, like, like celebrity types. And then the next thing you know, it's like, they call me reverend. You know, they're, they're like reverends. Like, where, 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 they swing from one extreme to the other. And that, that could be the case in certain instances. I don't know. But in other instances, I, I think it's a very organic move. Well, what they've done is they've taken that, that incredible passion for life and what they've done is just sanctified. And it's actually a fairly organic move from one to the other. It can be anyway. It can be. Okay, so, so I want to get back to this, this idea because we reach a certain point in our life where, in my instance, to get back to my story, in my instance, I'm going to the mikveh, and you could say, hey, I'm going to the mikveh, that's pretty holy, I don't have to do this other thing, but what if that other thing is the thing you're supposed to be doing? <laughs> Like the Ishvitzer Rebbe says, the deepest thing is, what does God want from you this moment? And to leave that holy alibi behind and to not lie to yourself. Remember, the Pshiska Rebbe says, what's a chassid? A chassid is someone who goes beyond the law. A regular person doesn't deceive other people. A chassid doesn't lie to himself.
You see, let's just zero down a little bit more. We have to allow ourselves to grow where it's not just enough to do a right thing, but you want to do the right thing. And that takes a lot of strength and a lot of fire. Fire meaning fire inside you, fire in your heart. Because most people are very satisfied to do a right thing. But if you want to do in the moment the right thing, that means you're willing to go to that uncomfortable place, right? That place outside your comfort zone and to keep on striving. And you know something, if you do, your whole life can change in the blink of an eye. And I want to tell you a story from this year that happened to me. It's actually two stories. It's two stories, but in a couple of weeks, I've got a plane ticket to go to Hungary, to go to Reb Shaila's kever, and to go to the Ischwitzer and the Kutzka Rebbe's kever, and to Auschwitz in Poland, spend the night in Budapest, and go to all these amazing holy places, right? So how did I get from my address to a ticket to go to Poland and Hungary? Places I was not planning on going. And you know something? It's because of two decisions that I made. And let me tell you, because they're not going to sound connected. And that's the entire point. Because when you make, when you start to live like this, your whole life changes. So let me give you an example, okay? And this is from my life. A few months ago, my daughter was at our house and she left for the airport and it was close to midnight and she had left something at the house. And it wasn't dire, but there was definitely a version where it would be better for her to have it than not to have it. And I thought to myself, well, I could drive to the airport now. <laughs> and meet her. But it is kind of close to midnight right now. And I am very tired. And it is not life and death. But there was a version where I could see how she might have a need for this thing and it actually might be life-changing for her. Well, I didn't want to do it because I was too lazy but my conscience was bothering me. So I said to my wife, what do you think? And she said, you should absolutely drive to the airport, <laughs> which is kind of the answer that I knew I was going to get, right? But I think the part of me which knew that I had to do the right thing is the part that said, why don't you just run it by your wife, you know? So I, so I drove to the airport and... And, and got it to her. And I don't even know if she ended up using it at all, by the way. Okay? So, but it doesn't matter. Because it's this next part of the story, which is the real part of the story. There's a gathering that's been going on in Los Angeles on Thursday nights called Mishmar. 
which is this phenomenal group of people, really totally special, and they rent out a place or it's at someone's house and it's it's a bunch of guys and they turn out the lights and they light candles and there's a table full of like tequila and vodka and <laughs> there's live music and people are just singing at the top of their lungs and sharing like very personal things about their life, you know, in a, in a Torah context and the, it's amazing and w- great food and it's really, it's really, really something. So someone had mentioned it to me and I was like, I'm too tired to go. But now I was driving back from the airport and I'm like, hey, I'm two blocks from that place. Why don't I just swing by? So I swung by and I just kind of sat there quietly and it was mostly over by the time I got there. But anyway, there were still people there. And I was just kind of sitting and listening and the, the person who's the kind of the organizer of it kind of turned to me at one point and said, you know, what do you got? <laughs> like, say something. So I said something, whatever. And okay. He was looking at his phone the entire time that I was talking and that seems strange to me since he just asked me to say something and he was just like checking out his phone while I was talking. Later I found out that he was filming me and he was putting it on the 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 shared social media site for this group. So now cut to the next day. There's this like kind of like a life cycle event going on for a friend of mine, but it's going to make me leave my comfort zone, my minion, the happy minion that I go to all the time and it's like, ah, you know, you got to really, it's very, it's very hard to get me out of that place. You know, it's got to really be a good reason. And I mentioned to my wife, well, you know, this friend of mine's having this life. She's like, you have to go. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And I wanted to go. I absolutely wanted to go, but it's just hard for me to leave the minion. So I went and, and I saw the guy from the previous night right? Because this is just days after who had been filming me and I didn't realize it. He said, hey, the feedback from that thing that I posted was just great. You know, after after davening, we're going to have a kiddish. You have to speak at the kiddish. <laughs> so I did. And then a short time after that, he said, listen, every Thursday night, we're going to institute a class and you have to start giving the class. And then this same group of people is the group that's going to Hungary and Poland. And they're like, hey, you got to come on the trip. And like, you know, we're going to be by the Ishvitz or the Kutzker Rebbe. You know, you got to say Ishvitz or Taurus. You got to say Kutzker Taurus. Like, you know, you got to come with us, right? So, so I left my comfort zone and I brought something to my daughter at the airport. And I left my comfort zone to celebrate with a friend of mine who is having something, you know, in a different, in a, in a, in a different shul. And my life changed because I left my comfort zone. Because I asked myself, what does God want from me this moment? And I'm telling you, 
that there's so many different ways through the forest, the thick, dense forest of our lives. And if you cut the woods in a different direction, you don't know what opening is going to appear before you. It's real. What I'm talking about right now is real because I'm living it right now and I'm telling you that it's real. So again, the Kutzker Rebbe says something, and this is just one of those thoughts that we circle back to because it is one of the, the thoughts. Now, we're having this talk at a different time today, and, and the reason is because I took my daughter to the airport to go to Israel for the year, and she's our last kid out of the house. So we've got like the empty nest going on right now. And as we're walking back to the parking lot inside the airport after we dropped off our daughter, my wife said to me, I'm feeling old, right? Because, you know, we just sort of like graduated our, our last kid, kind of. And then we had a discussion. Are we really, I said, I said, don't, you're not feeling old. I said, you're feeling more accomplished. I said, there's a very big difference between feeling old and feeling accomplished. And then I said, you, you remember the, the Kutzker Torah? And she nodded her head because, you know, this is one of those classic thoughts that, you know, you develop a shorthand about. So what's the Kutzker Torah, okay? So it says, Shlomo Amelech, King Solomon, the wisest of men, says, one who grows old is like an ape. Now, that's a very shocking statement, especially from a Jewish source, because we revere old people because of their life experience and things like that. In fact, there's a mitzvah, there's a Torah commandment that when an elderly person, male, female, walks into the room, you have to stand. You have to show proper respect. And even if they're not a learned person, you have to stand. You know why? Because the greatest teacher is life. And if they haven't been through maybe the books of the Torah, they have been through the books of life. And, and the fact that they have made it through and survived to that age, that alone is, is worthy of standing for them. And people should be very conscious of this commandment. You know, this is not a small thing. And you will be a better person for rising to your feet because it will be a constant reminder to you that this is real. And what's nice is it's not just words. You have to actually physicalize the respect. And, and so it's good. It's good. Anyway, so how is it possible that King Solomon is saying one who grows old is like an ape? Okay, so the Kutzker Rebbe explains it. He says it's the manner of an ape to imitate. And let me tell you how old an observation throughout various cultures in the world that apes mimic your gestures. It is so universally known that that's true, that if you go to the dictionary and look up the word ape, A-P-E, one of the definitions of ape after the animal itself is to copy. It's a verb to ape one's gestures, to copy. Okay, now with that in mind, listen to what the Kutzker Rebbe says, because it's devastating. It's devastating. 
What does it mean one who grows old is like an ape? It means that at a certain point in a person's life, whether they do this consciously or perhaps more likely unconsciously, a person reaches the conclusion, this is who I am. I basically have it right. And now you're ready for this? They then continue living the rest of their life as an imitation of themselves. They continue the rest of their lives imitating the person they once were. That's, is that horror movie time? And he says, that is the definition of old age. Which means a person can reach old age according to the Torah, according to King Solomon, when you're 14, and you can be young at 98 if you don't fall into this trap. Age has nothing to do with numbers. Or being old has nothing to do with numbers. The question is, are you ready to ask yourself in the moment, what does God want from me right now? And to not allow your Yetzirah to come to you and go, well, I'm doing this, right? I've got my holy alibi, I'm doing this. Not to lie to yourself if you know at that moment something more is being asked of you. So let me finish up this point now about the point of Bechira, the point of free choice that Rav Dessler talks about. You see, Theoretically, I could learn 16 hours of Torah tomorrow. But if I'm learning, say, one hour a day, can I tell you what the real point of Bechira, the real point of free choice is in my life? Am I going to learn tomorrow an hour and 15 minutes? If I'm learning an hour a day regularly, the real question is not am I going to learn 16 hours tomorrow, That's a fake question. It's a fake question to throw me off the trail. The real question is, am I going to learn an hour and 15 minutes tomorrow? Because that is in the realm of my free choice right now. That is actually something that I can do and actualize. And so what the Yetzirah wants to do, what the negative inclination wants to do, is just sort of like throw all the doors open and make everything a possibility to throw you off the scent of the truth, which is that the real change is going to be a more nuanced choice, which you can actually make. And that that's the entire game. And then it wants to throw you off further when you realize, hey, I actually can make that choice. Oh, I already learned an hour. Okay, so now we're back to the holy alibi. And that's where the work is. That's where the zeroing in is. And that's the opportunity that we can take advantage of right now with Elul. Is to hone in, to hone in on that sweet spot, which is a pretty narrow spectrum. And that's going to be the gateway to life-changing events. Because as you accustom yourself to get out of your comfort zone, 
you're going to be amazed at how many new sets of friends, new sets of people, new locations, new opportunities are going to organically blossom and open before you. I promised that I was going to mention the historical significance of this day. So let me just do that quickly and then we'll start to wrap it up. There are three 40-day cycles, 4-0, three 40-day cycles back-to-back in the Torah. The first 40-day cycle starts on Shavuos, when we get the Torah at Mount Sinai, where Moses gets the two tablets, right? And then on the 40th day, that's the day that we worship the golden calf when we shouldn't have, and Moshe breaks the luchos, the tablets, right? So that's the first 40-day cycle. The next 40-day cycle, Moshe prays to God that we should be forgiven. And of course, we're also doing tshuva. And at the end of that 40-day period, God says, okay, come up, come back up to the top of Mount Sinai with the two tablets, chisel out two new tablets, and you're going to get the Torah again. And sure enough, the next 40-day period, that third 40-day period where Moshe goes back up to Mount Sinai with his second tablets is today. That is Rosh Chodesh Elul, the first day of the month of Elul, which of course precedes the month of Tishrei, which has Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in it, Sukkot, like all, Shmini Atzeres, Simchas Torah. I mean, like, you know, like that's like the, the headquarters of where the year in our lives are totally remade and everything like that. So we need to prepare for such a thing. And that begins today. So so what happens? That's the beginning of the third 40-day period. And then Moses comes down on the 40th day, this time with the tablets in hand, this time with the tablets intact, which didn't happen before. And that 40th day where he comes down with the tablets in hand has a special name. And you know what it is? Yom Kippur. That is Yom Kippur. Right? The holiest day of the year. And if you think about it, it's where heaven lands on earth. And why we're like angels on Yom Kippur. Like it's all mirrored in the idea of the Torah finally actually landing on terra firma, on firm ground, and becoming integrated fully into our consciousness. The whole world is made out of Torah, even before we received the tablets, but now we have possession of that thing. You know, it's one thing to be in a place it's another thing to know the place that you are. <laughs> we finally knew where we were. And then everything changes. Right? I'm just going to end with this teaching because it's bedrock, 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 bedrock. I heard it from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Ishvitzer Rebbe. And he says, You know how you fix your soul? He says, the first thing that you have to do is fix what you're doing right. Right? Fix what you're doing right. 
So when you first hear that, you go, what? If I'm doing something wrong, I got to fix it. What do you mean fix what I'm doing right? And so then Reb Shlomo said in words that are still echoing, echoing in my heart. He said, that thing that you're doing right now, are you doing it with all of your heart? And that's how we fix what we're doing right. We begin with the things that we're already doing, but now we do them with all of our hearts. And once you do them with all of your hearts, the things that you're already doing, you're going to see, you're going to get strength because success is going to lead to success and you're going to get strength and that's going to allow you to take on new challenges that you didn't have the strength for before. And you're going to be able to bring more light to dark places. Okay, so we'll, we'll conclude with that, but wishing everyone the best new year. We're at a point in the calendar where you, during your just regular interactions with people, you can start wishing them a Shana Tova. Because right now, we're making the vessels to hold that new light that's coming down. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.